This is the Liberator Podcast from Giant Worldwide. Welcome to Advanced Base Camp. But what we're doing is our intention is that you go to a completely another level of life, of leadership, of intentionality. And we're really just your guides. That's all we are. We're just Sherpas. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Liberator Podcast, episode number six. So, so good to be with you. My name is Jeremy Kubitschek. And I'm here with my amazing business partner and friend, Steve Cockrum from sunny London. Steve Cockrum, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Jeremy. Thank you for my American introduction as always. I always feel about 10 foot higher, about three stone lighter and a lot more intelligent by the time I've had my American introduction. So thank you so much. Speaking of American introductions, uh, there's something got introduced into the London or the, into the English uh, culture from America, and you frequented that restaurant this last week, right? In Birmingham? Ah, what this is, is it? one of your great cultural exports. I was up visiting the living legend who is Earl Lynch, uh, one of our giants in the UK, in Birmingham, which um, is, they call themselves Britain's second city, but they're the only ones who do it. And you know what had arrived in the shopping centre? It was Five Guys Burgers and Fries, and they'd never been in there. So being a true pioneer, I took them in, ordered them burgers and fries and all the other health conscious food that you can get in a Five Guys and they just thought it was unbelievable. Then I let Earl pick up the check and he nearly had a heart attack because it wasn't as cheap as going to McDonald's. So that was Five Guys Burgers and Fries. One of the great burgers is now part of that American cultural export that we Brits are truly grateful for. When we look at the great things you've sent us, Five Guys is right up there. Now think about that. Do you think there's any correlation with five guys, five gears, five voices? Have you ever have you made that connection before? They're all, no, okay, no. Just curious. Um, <laughs> the other thing I want to bring up is that Bir- you, you mentioned Birmingham. So now, mm-hmm. if you were in if you were in Alabama, you wouldn't say it like that, right? No. How would you say it? How would they in Alabama speak? Yeah. Well, I imagine they would, I don't really know, Jeremy, are you trying to get me to do in a Southern American drawl accent? Yeah. I'm just saying it's, it's, there's the emphasis <laughs> on, on ham, ah, which is okay. kind of interesting because in America we're fixated on ham. So it's Birmingham ah, versus okay. in England, there's, there's kind of more pork adverse. So it's more Birmingham. But Where do they serve the gumbo? Gumbo. I really like gumbo when uh, I was in America. That was awesome. Yeah, now we're that's into a whole nother. Yeah, that's Cajun. That's, that's down okay. in New Orleans. Okay, fair enough. So. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. I, I'll just stick to my steak and I'm done with it. Okay, what so are we episode, actually talking about? I'm sure yeah, no one's excited about this. Is not about uh, five guys or burgers or uh, Southern culture versus English culture. It's okay. basically focused on how do you develop a high-performing team. Now, there's a lot a lot, a lot of topics and conversations about this subject. A lot of people want to talk about it, but I think we've got something that might be a little bit different, a little bit more unique than most, or maybe even going deeper than a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about how do you develop a high-performing team. So first and foremost, Steve, why is that important? I think mainly because if you have a high-performing team, you can usually achieve things that are almost uh, impossible without alignment, synergy, and all the things that go with it. I mean, we often say that in our experience, teams function at about 60% or less of their true capacity because basically people don't really understand how to create the environment where everyone 
gets to play their best. And we, we talk quite a bit about that in our, in our last podcast. And the idea basically being is when everyone gets to play, when every voice is heard, when everyone brings their best contribution, not only does everyone love being part of that team, but that team delivers on its vision, its objectives, its key performance indicators at a way higher level. So every organization we work with, everyone wants a team that has the capacity to perform to the absolute max, I guess, of its potential. And everyone talks about it, but nobody actually really does it. And here's my thesis, Jeremy. Do you want to hear my thesis? Come on. Is because basically most teams are led by pioneers and connectors in statistically. I mean, they, pioneers represent 7% of the population and connectors 11 But if you were to look at how many pioneers and connectors as first or second voice lead teams, and what they do is they cast incredible vision of possibilities of what could do, could be, but they never often drill down deep enough into the details that really allow the thing to actually happen. So lots of people talk about high-performing teams, lots of people give you books on it, lots of people give you concepts on it. What I think we've really tried to do is dig into the real, what we call guardian detail, to really then understand how it works and from that position help others move forward. What do you think of my thesis? I think it's a great thesis. I think that's part of the leadership crisis that we have and the issue. And I, I really do think we have a leadership crisis. I know we talk about this a lot, but you go, think about how many organizations are not working to their capability or their, their opportunity or how many uh, universities or um, uh, businesses or governments or, um, you know, just countries. And it goes back to this whole idea of actually getting a team to work together, being on the same page. It's incredibly difficult. It's much easier to talk about strategy and to mm. find money and talk about money and to be cerebral versus having to deal with people, which is really, we've talked about this once before. I want to bring it back up. It's really an issue uh, of understanding what people are, what teams are. A team can either be a liability or it can be an asset. So in the, in the uh, if we use a profit and loss, so a P&L statement uh, versus a balance sheet statement, a balance sheet is, has assets and it has liabilities. You take potential liabilities and turn them into an asset that will directly impact the P&L, the profit of a company. And most people just think that's fluff. So a lot of pioneers, what, I, what I've thought about this too, here's my thesis. Uh, the pioneers... I because, presume the connectors come out looking best in your thesis, Jeremy. Well, okay, let's just say it like this. <laughs> yes. The pioneers who make up a large proportion of the leaders uh, of companies and organizations. They're only 7%, mm -hmm. but they have uh, you know, maybe over 50% of the population at the leading companies because we hire them to win. But what they do is the pioneers are they're they're aligning resources, they're aligning people, they're aligning uh, um, money and to the opportunity, and they do that really really well. But leaders define culture, and so what happens is that desire to win and achieve and is so forward thinking that culture, people, leader development feels and sounds like fluff. So mm -hmm. therefore, it's kind of like well, let's just hire good people so we don't have to, to train them or deal with them. And so that, that whole mindset actually creates underperforming teams. So, but, so it's, it's almost like, how do we get people to start thinking that it's a return on investment, that leader development, actually getting teams to perform and work together is not fluff, it's not a soft skill, it's a hard skill. 
and it mm -hmm. and it works if you do it right. So that's what we're going to get into today and uh, talk about it. So let's get into six metrics of developing a high-performing team. What has to happen? Yeah. So Steve, you pick the first one, and let's go through these. Okay. Okay. Being the reform T, I'm going to pick the most important one at the beginning, which is relationships. So everyone understands what we've done is in our, all the years we've been working with teams and all the time we've been processing and dreaming, we've basically tried to look for what are the seven most common attributes, metrics almost, of a high-performing team. If you've got these in place, we've seen time and time again you can go to a new level. So the first one is you have to look at the relationships of a team. We define it this way, that there's a hundred percent trust that your team members' actions, motivations and goals are genuinely done in the best interest of the team, not just themselves, as well as that each member's contributions, roles and opinions are truly valued and appreciated. So think about that for a moment. Look at how healthy the relationships are maybe in the team that you're in. Do you really trust each other? Is everyone actually pulling for each other, seeking the best for each other, promoting others often over and above themselves, valuing each contribution, valuing those that are different to them, and creating the environment where everyone's contribution and opinions are truly valued and appreciated. So that's our first metric of a high-performing team. When relationships are close to 100%, that I reckon is probably one of the most important things we've seen again and again. So that's our, our first metric of a high-performing team. Yeah. Why don't you choose one? No, yeah, and I'll say that too. Um, you know, we have this little adage that we use um, in Giant called relationship before opportunity. And so what happens in relationship and why trust gets developed in that case is because you basically either know that you're either for me or I'm either for you, I'm either against you, or I'm for myself. So inside a team, if you have a group of people, but let's say Tim Tim feels like he's for himself always, then I'm going to put up my wall of self-preservation, and I'm actually going to defend myself, or I'm going to actually pull away, and I won't be as connected. I won't give him challenge. I'll kind of just walk around him. Or if I see mm -hmm. that, that um, Tom is against me, then my wall goes way up. But if Susan is for me, then I'm going to lean mm -hmm. in. So we talk about high performance of a team. Relationships are so, so important. And I found that most people kind of treat them as like, do what you have to do. Yeah, yeah, hey Steve, happy birthday, hope you're well, good. Okay, down to business. And they don't understand that fact that you spend an inordinate amount of time with your team in your life. So why not spend time to make those the best relationships as possible? So, all right, I'm gonna, I'll pick, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think, you know, for our team, the, the commitment to relationship has been one of the most significant parts, I think, of the reason we've been growing and been so successful, that we've actually worked at relationship. And I know some people sometimes say, you know, you can't be close friends with the people who work for you. How would you, how would you respond to that? You know, if I'm the boss, I, I don't want to get too close. I don't want them to feel too safe because they won't perform. Any, any thoughts on that one, Joe? Yeah, you know, I would say in general, I disagree. I won't say it's all rubbish, but I get it that there's boundaries that need to be put in place. But I think what that is, it's almost used as an excuse, and it's a generality, generalization. What happens mm. is you have to know your team to lead your team. I was just talking to a coach um, at lunch, a football coach, and he was talking about the fact that he has to know every one of his players. 
If he understands the players, he can treat them differently and knows when he needs to bring more support and challenge based on their voice. So what's mm-hmm. great about that is he's cognizant. And I think what a lot of leaders do is they make general statements like that, and then they, they, mm-hmm. they live their leadership life like that. And then they get the consequences of it as like, oh, you know what, Steve's not really for me, or he's always for himself, or he never talks because he doesn't want to get too close. And so I, I, probably, I probably would say I think that's rubbish. So, um, that's a good English word, that. I'm very impressed, uh, as yeah, opposed to I've trash. That's trash I talk, use, where I come from. I use rubbish. <laughs> I use loo. I use cheers. Yeah. There's a lot of words I like. So, Okay, next yeah. one, six metrics of, of high-performing team, uh, alignment. So this one... Uh, alignment. Think of think of your car, your vehicle. If your vehicle is uh, as misaligned, it's not a it's not a smooth ride. So to be a hundred percent and buy into your team's mission, vision, and values, as well as the role, fit, and contribution of each team member. So if you're in a position right now and you disagree with the team's mission and vision and values, you're not in alignment. And or if you're in a role or in, your contribution's not being valued or you're not valuing other people's contributions on your team, then there's misalignment. And alignment, um, it's one of those things that when a team is aligned, no one really thinks about it. It just is automatic. But when a car or a team is, is misaligned, you feel it immediately. People walk around, mm-hmm. they skirt around, there's drama, there's gossip, there's all types of dysfunction. And so alignment is a really, really crucial uh, metric for um, a high-performing team. And I think that the thing I'd add to that, Jeremy, is that people sometimes feel this is really important, but it doesn't feel urgent all the time because we need to be out there, we need to be selling something, we need to be delivering. And I think the most important thing is if you don't spend the time as a team to define what does success look like for us, what is it that we're going to get out of bed for, what is our mission day by day, and do we know what roles everyone plays? Is, is leadership clear at every level? Does everyone understand what each person in the team is going after? And do we actually understand and value the contribution they make? So when the teams align, it's, it's not that everyone's doing the same thing, but everyone is actually pulling in the same direction, totally bought in to the vision, mission, and committed to living the values that the team decides this is how we're going to value each other and these are the things that are going to be hallmarks of the way we choose to function as a team. So when those things are aligned, as you said before, you just don't notice. It's a really smooth ride. When they're not, or when there's somebody in a different direction, it has a massive drag on the performance of teams. So alignment is more important than you think it is. Pick the next one, Steve. What's the, what's the next metric we want to share today? So I'm going to, I'm going to choose um, capacity mainly because it's probably the one that most people won't have. Um, It's the one that people go, oh, you're right, but they hadn't thought of it. Capacity is all about having the 100% confidence that the team has the time, skill sets, resources, and leadership support to fulfill their responsibilities, as well as the plan and faith for addressing future challenges and constraints. Well, that sounds like a mouthful, but we wanted you to have the definition. But here's what it really means, is if you look at as highly effective teams grow, they always get given more opportunities. If they're doing something well, there's always possibilities for growth. But in the end, if a team is not intentional from day one about building the capacity for the future, however gifted the members of that team are, they will reach a capacity constraint where they actually can't do anymore. 
And one of the reasons why this metric is, is one that really people struggle with is it's always important, but it's never urgent until it's too late. It's always the one that people think, oh, we'll just we'll deal with it later. But it's always the one that catches the team out. So the highest performing teams are those who are able to sustain growth, sustain the new opportunity without diluting basically the relationships, the alignment, and effectively diluting ultimately the customer experience or the team experience below them. Any thoughts on capacity, yeah. Jess? Yeah, so if you're the team leader and you have a capacity constraint, you don't understand how that actually affects the performance of the entire team. Because you may have, what happens all the time, you have people who have high capacity, uh, but they're at capacity, but they have a lot of people, but they haven't learned to multiply their skills to everyone else. So everyone else is sitting around while the one person is stressed. And that seems to happen constantly. So the whole idea of capacity is actually the leader has got to constantly learn how to multiply to other people and let other people play and share, um, you know, sh share certain responsibilities in order for the entire team to lift. And so that combination, or you may have someone in a key role that's at capacity, but they haven't done a good job of multiplying themselves. So everyone else is almost in a domino effect. They're stuck waiting for, for that person to do their job and they can't. And so it's, it's just vital for a team to understand capacity as it plays to that. Yeah. Great. Two little okay. questions. If, you, if you're sitting there feeling smug because you think, well, we're really good at this. So I always ask the question, which is, think around your team and assume that each one of them got hit by a bus and basically was going to spend the next three months in intensive care. What would be the impact of your team's performance? And do you have any contingency planning or actually have people had an opportunity to effectively begin multiplying those skills into that process? And that's one of those questions which is a really hard one to ask. And if you're in a startup, it's probably less realistic because it takes time to multiply. But if you're in a, a, a kind of, you've been through the startup phase and you're into growth and expansion, actually asking how much are you dependent upon key individuals? If they weren't there, it would dramatically decrease the capacity of the team. That's one of those succession thinking, multiplication criteria of a high-performing team. So what's next, Jeremy? What are you choosing um, as number four? I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose uh, communication. So communication, when, when people hear that, they probably go, oh yeah, yeah, I got that. What we mean by that is 100% clarity on all expectations on the needs and the tasks of each team member. And um, as well as how to address change and conflict in a healthy way when it arises. So we're talking about clarity, right? So understanding what does it mean to win? What does success look like? What are the expectations of the team leader or of our team or uh, another group to our team? What does it mean to, to exceed expectations? What are the needs and tasks? And then how do we address change and conflict? So you think about that. Every single day there's some change that comes into the organization. One person's working on something and then a change order comes in and it takes them away from what they thought was going to happen and they have to shift. Or there's a conflict with a customer or a team member or with a boss or another team. And so what happens is we basically want to, to get teams to the point where they're healthy in communicating and understanding what clear expectations look like in, in, in their daily tasks. That's very good. We, we have a tool um, called Go to the Source, which is one of, I think, one of the most powerful tools for communication inside a team. 
Um, it basically says this is if you have an issue with your team member and what we say is go to the source direct go and speak to them give them a chance to respond so I might go look Jeremy you know when you said that in last week's board meeting you made me feel this small and uh, everyone laughed at me and I was like I'm ready to I thought you did it deliberately but I know that what we have to protect is the communication and the relationships of our team so I'm giving you a chance to respond and the teams that basically commit to that open communication of believing that they're for each other and not lettering those passive aggression or believing the worst of each other actually having a way of having that honest communication is another one of those key metrics that basically the most high-performing teams because in the end if you're right on the edge of basically um, if you're really achieving things you're going to be moving there's going to be all kinds of moving pieces as Jeremy said you have to have decided in advance how we're going to communicate how we're going to keep clarifying expectations how do we keep driving forward and if you don't establish it in the beginning the busier the team gets the more pressure that's brought in often it, it shows the cracks in communication and those cracks in communication are often the things that undermine the relational health of teams and all of a sudden you've got two of those metrics that are basically playing down on each other so communication is a is the big word that you know us pioneers and connectors love to use but it's always good to ask what do you really mean by that what does it mean when in the day-to-day -day of your team how do you define it in a way which everyone understands and we can keep going back to all right, Steve, we're down to the last two. You, uh, you pick. You've, you've got two more to, to choose from here. Well, I'm gonna, I'll probably choose my Achilles heel here. So basically, I'm going to choose execution. I mean, it's, in the end, a high-performing team has to be able to execute on what its tasks, objectives, and roles are. So we say that the highest-performing teams have the capacity to deliver 100% consistency in the fulfilling responsibilities that they've been given on time, on budget, according to team goals, as well as the confidence that projects being executed are genuinely creating value, momentum, and growth. So that whole idea of saying, when somebody in the team says, this is what I'll deliver, this is what I'm gonna deliver it by, that you actually know that you can trust the alignment of all the activity, and in the end, everyone is committed to execution to the very best of their ability, because that's what creates the real value, the momentum, the growth, and the best teams always deliver on the execution side of things. What's interesting, Steve, is that it's funny, if you, if you say execution, a lot of people are like, oh yeah, man, we need execution. You just got my attention right there. That's my favorite word. But if you take execution out, or if you take re uh, re relationships out mm. of high performance, all of a sudden it becomes an execution task machine where it's all head, no heart, and you'll actually mm -hmm. underperform. Uh, we, and Steve yeah. and I, we've found in our teams, we've found teams that we've worked with that are just, they get stuff done. And yet they have a high turnover or uh, no one really wants to be there. And so it's the combination of how do you get a team player for their heart to come alive, for their passion to be there, their excitement. Well, if their heart becomes alive and it combines with their head, now you're onto something. Mm -hmm. So execution and relationship actually affect capacity. It affects communication. It affects you know the the, the other things we've been talking about. So um, I totally agree with you. So it's you know don't uh, when people hear execution they may get all excited going that's my word, but it has to be in context with the other words combined. 
All right, the last one on the list of the um, six metrics for a high-performing team is synergy. Synergy means the 100% belief that the team is more important than the individual, as well as the complete confidence that working with your team members enhances each individual's performance beyond what they could do themselves. So in the financial world, there's a a term called accretive. And when I was in the acquisition space in the private equity group, uh, accretive meant, hey, if we take this company plus this company, that should give us three. So one plus one equals three. That's accretive. So in the same way of synergy, you think, hey, if we can work together, uh, all of a sudden, if we can have synergy, then our productivity can be one plus one equals three, just like a great marriage, uh, just like a great partnership. So synergy is such a crucial word, and it is a combination of, of communication and relationship and execution and all those things combined as well. So give me your thoughts on synergy, Steve. I've often said there's, <laughs> there's no such thing as accidental synergy in teams. It actually takes a huge degree of intentionality because it goes against the individualism that usually wants to say often, hey, my number one team is my marketing department or my finance department. And I think Patrick Lincioni, who's you know, a, a big friend of, of Giant and you know, got his new book coming out, I think, as well. What Patrick said was this, you, you have to have your number one team be your number one team. And I think that's been quite important in this area of synergy. Does everyone believe the team is more important than their own individual success? Are people prepared to align their expertise, their skills, in such a way that the team's performance is more important than my own personal success or achievement. That one is, I think, incredibly hard to achieve because we're dealing with human beings who by their very nature are often complex, often insecure, often dealing with their own sense of trying to prove themselves. And so, you know, I know the the, the wall of self-preservation, Jeremy, which you wrote about in your first book, talks always about that idea of, you know, what are you afraid of losing? What are you trying to prove? And what are you trying to hide? And anyone who has insecurity always undermines synergy because in reality, you're actually dealing with your own need and that usually prevents you being prepared to play your role, however sacrificial, on behalf of the whole. You never get one plus one plus one equals five if you have insecure leaders who are fighting for their own preference and their own kind of betterment inside an organizational company. That's my thinking anyway. Oh man, and uh, you know when I when I hear these and talk about them, I go back to my own failure in my own leadership. Going, gosh, I had so much opportunity, you know, running a team, running this division, and going, oh, we were so there, but I was so either insecure or fixated on me or whatever, immature. So I go back, and I wish I could go back and climb back in that suit, that body, and as as I'm trying to lead now, because mm-hmm. um, you know we 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 talk about this, you guys, in the giant world. We're Sherpas, um, just we're mountain guides. Um, we're not the heroes. Steve and I are not the hero. The hero is the liberator. It's the leader worth following. The leader who who calibrates high support and high challenge. So, but but to get there, it's like um, synergy is almost like you have to die to yourself, because there's death to your own needs. Meaning that hey, it's better together than me by myself, and. Um, it, it, to your point, it is. There's so much relational dynamics, emotional dynamics, there's insecurity, all those factors that can take that out and can really cause distrust pretty quickly. But the team that gets these right, 
the team mm. that can go through all six of these, oh my goodness, they have, it's a competitive advantage. They have um, an opportunity just to take their market share to move so much quicker because every organization has team issues and very, mm. very few are actually performing at a high level in congruence to these six that we mentioned. And so if you yeah. get these right, it's a game changer. I was, I was talking with a, the CFO of a big fund management group in, in the city and they always ask us the same question, which is, well, so you're gonna come and work with our team. Well, what's the return on investment? How do we know it's actually gonna make a difference? And I said, well, why don't we do a benchmark diagnostic using you know, these six metrics? And I said, if your team, which it did, it came out at 57% overall on those, those six metrics. I said, how much does your team manage? How much wealth under management do you have? And he's like, you know, well, we've got about, I think it was 50 billion, which sounded like an awful lot of money. And I said, well, so if you think, if we were to take the, the performance of your team from 57 to 77 in a year, in relationship, relationships, communication, alignment, capacity, synergy, communication, execution. What would that do to the bottom line? Forget all the, you know, I'm sure you'd all get on well, it'd be a lot more fun, but let's just deal with your specific issue. What do you think that would do to the return on investment for your investors if your team performed at 77% on these criteria versus 57? And he went, fair enough. So it was interesting how somebody who is going, you've made the metrics tangible, you've described them in a way which is not soft, girly, you know, fluffy that you used earlier. These are cold, hard realities that we've watched to basically be able to say, this is what the highest performing teams do, and the highest performing teams always deliver the best return on investment for whether, whatever their stakeholder group is. So it's always important to understand these are not just concepts, these are things that drive performance, and performance is usually what people are looking for. Thoughts on that, Joe? No, that's it. That's it. So, Steve, uh, if you could, uh, could you uh, share with us? We've got a diagnostic, and uh, we want to we want to share this with people, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. can you share what the hundred X uh, team diagnostic is and how people can yep. do that? So, we we basically built um, an assessment that you can do online. Um, Anybody who reaches out to us from the Liberator podcast and says we heard this and you stayed all the way to the end, we will give you a free um, access code that your team can take the 100x diagnostic. It's it's fantastic. And the email that you need to send it to is just hello at giantworldwide.com. So hello at giantworldwide.com. Just say, I was listening to Jeremy and Steve on the podcast. I'd love to take the 100x team diagnostic so I can really get a sense of where our team is. So every individual completes the link, it's anonymous, but we collate the data and we can show you based around those six metrics, each with five statements inside it, give you a chance to see what's really going on inside your team. So hello at giantworldwide.com to take the free 100X the team diagnostic. I was in Nashville, Steve, with one of our associates, Amy Norton, and we were um, speaking to um, a company, a large company there. And I asked this person, I said, all right, so I gave him just the general framework of how the six uh, metrics. And I said, put a percentage on them. Uh, tell me what you think. And he said, at the end, he goes, uh, I think we're at about a nine. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean one through 10. I meant one through 100. And he goes, no, 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 mm-hmm. I, I knew what you meant. We're at a nine. 
And I was like, <laughs> nine? Like, nine percent? And he goes, absolutely. He goes, there's no alignment, there's no synergy, there's no relationship, there's no trust, we don't execute anything, we're all out of capacity, no one likes each other. And he went through this whole list, and I was like, oh my goodness, think about that. So, now this was a government entity, and it was, a, it was just interesting. Uh, so if you, but if you think about it, like taking the test, all it's doing is basically giving you an assessment of where are you today, so you know what it is. So in our case, we did it with our team. So um, our, our issue, the, the, uh, we actually scored pretty high. We've been really intentionally practicing what we're preaching with our team and with our, our, our uh, headquarters team specifically. And, but our biggest issue was capacity. We all had, had felt the capacity constraint because we're in about eight countries. We've got about 70 associates around the, 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 the world and we're growing rapidly, but we're all at capacity because we're decentralized and we're all trying to, to, to handle things. But it's so good to know the number. I don't remember what the number was. It was 82%, I think, total was our 82 score. overall, but our capacity was down about 56. There you go. So that gave us a metric to go, oh my goodness, we've got to start multiplying and apprenticing and applying what we preach to our own business. So that was an indicator for us. So that's really what it is. So hello at giantworldwide.com and just, again, ask for the um, 100X team diagnostic and we'll be glad to serve you and, and give that to you. But Steve, if you could um, break down like, okay, so people have read the five voices, they might be really into it. Um, how do you actually um, get a team moving? So tell them a little bit about uh, what we've come up with with the five voices um, team challenge. Yep, so if you've been engaging with the voices material and everyone's been incredibly kind with the things they've written and the things they've sent, and what we've done is said, why not use the diagnostic as a springboard to upgrade the performance of your team? And the 60 days is long enough that you don't get bored of us um, or you feel it's too huge a commitment, but it's a small enough period of time that you get, hey, we could really do this. And we basically use the five voices content and some of the other methodology and tools that Giants developed to basically work with your team. And it starts basically with a one day where we come, we take your team away, we do an offsite, and we work our way through a much deeper understanding of the voices, we apply it with you guys. And then what we do is, over the course of that two months, we have, uh, we come in, we work with the team every two weeks um, for 90 minutes. Every member of the team gets a one-to-one -one each month for the two months. And we work our way through, and then the last day of the 60-day challenge, we're on site again or with the team. And what we do is we do half day with the team to review what's changed. Do we do the diagnostic again and see what progress has been made? We kind of make a plan for the future and look at what's going to be next. And everyone gets a chance to share what their own personal growth has been and in relation to a team. Then the, the last part of the day, we basically lay on a workshop for five voices for as many people in your organization as you can fit in an auditorium or a room or you want to put in so that we really have a chance to multiply the incredible power of the five voices system so that actually everything you're learning in a team and will probably want to share with your teams is beginning to go into the water systems. So that's your 60 day challenge to basically transform the communication of your team, but really to take the performance of your team up a grade and really move that forward. I, I did this um, yesterday with a group and spent some time with them and it was really fascinating. I said, all right, what is the, what, from your team, what is the, the voice? What's the culture? What's the voice of your team? And for, for this group, it was creative. They basically said that the average voice was, it's actually a creative voice. 
it was the culmination of the team. I said, well, what about your company? Well, our company and the industry is really a guardian voice. So most all of the voices were guardian. Well, this group had a really strong guardian presence, but because they're creative, they actually, um, there's a lot of opportunity for this company. And so it gave them a chance to benchmark themselves to their industry, to their company as a whole, and to, you know, to their own team. Then they got into their each individual and they started seeing where they needed, where they had holes and where they needed contribution. And they didn't have uh, a lot of, of um, connectors in this case. And so to, to think about like, oh my goodness, we need more connecting. What does that look like? So it was a great breakdown uh, as, as well, not just about the individual team, but really where they stood as an organization. Then they got really deep and they started looking at each individual voice and they started understanding the style. What does it sound like to be on the other side of this person? There were two or three major ahas yesterday. Like, oh my goodness, we went into the weapon system. They started realizing where the, what weapons that they used and what it sounded like to be on the other side of each other. And so that was a, a great process. But what, like Steve said, this is 60 days that we say, hey, if you're interested, in the same way that you'd said hello at Giant Worldwide, just say, tell me more about the Five, day, five Voices 60-day uh, team challenge, and we'll get back in touch with you, and the team diagnostic is a part of that. So I'd love to help you and serve you if any way possible. Any other comments on that, Steve? I think just to say that one of the reasons we try and build an event with Process is we almost know that it, however good the one day is or however good the, the event is, if there's no chance for people to unpack the learning, usually the impact of that experience diminishes over time. So what we know is that two months where we get a chance really to work with the team both as a group in quite an intensive way and also do some one-to-one -one coaching and really move that forward, in two months is not a huge period of time, but it really does mean that the power of the Five Voices system will go into your team and it will change the way you relate to each other. It will, it will actually impact all six of those metrics we talked about before. So that's the 60-day team challenge. We believe that those who do it will see a massive increase in the performance and the health of their team in that process. And going back to your ROI, I mean, like that's, that's the issue of conflict. How do you get people to all move in the same direction? So, hey, to everyone listening, uh, we sure appreciate it. We've been getting some fun feedback from you guys and a lot of uh, kudos and appreciation and all that. Our heartbeat, you guys, is to liberate. That's what Steve and I are about. That's what Giant's about, our whole team. It's basically to raise up leaders who have learned to fight for the highest possible good in the lives of those they lead. So when you learn to fight for, for the um, highest possible good and you lean in and you're for people and you learn how to support and challenge and do that really well, not only at work, but at home, in the community, to yourself. It's such a fun lifestyle. So um, we just share these ideas. We have, um, let's just say, we haven't even shared um, a smidge. Is that a British word? A very small amount of, uh, of uh, have we actually shared. Did you, mean the, did, you, did you mean the word smidgen? Smidgen. Well, it's kind of like pigeon, but no. I, what I really meant was uh, we're, we're barely opening up to all the things that we've got um, in our mm -hmm. repertoire, but we're just trying to stay focused to help people understand these dynamics that a lot of people will read a book, a lot of people will go to an event, a lot of people will see a, um, a, a pod, or hear a podcast or watch a TED Talk, and that's all good. It's information transfer, but it has to be consistent and it has to be congruent 
and implemented. And what we try to bring is applied learning, not just the learning, but the application into your reality because you have a preferred future and then you have your real future. And all we're trying to do is get your real team to look like what you hope the team would look like, your preferred team. And the 60-day challenge would help. The five voices helps. And uh, hopefully you've enjoyed these podcasts. So with that, any last British farewell? What do you say in Britain when you say goodbye? Or au revoir. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, as always, uh, it's always fun. Sure appreciate you. And uh, hey, everyone listening, thank you again. And hope you enjoyed the Liberator podcast. Episode six. Cheerio. Thanks so much for listening. That concludes today's episode of the Liberator podcast from Giant Worldwide. You can find out more information about us online at giantworldwide.com.